The scripture reading today for Father's Day is John 14, verses 1 through 14. If you're just joining us by podcast now, welcome. You're joining Green Street United Methodist Church in progress. Hear these words of comfort from our Lord. Let not your hearts be troubled. Trust in God. Trust also in me. My Father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you to be with me, that you also may be where I am. You know the way to the place where I'm going. Thomas said to him, Lord, we don't know where you are going. So how can we know the way? Jesus answered, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. If you really know me, you will know my Father as well. From now on, you do know him and have seen him. Philip said, Lord, show us the Father, and that will be enough for us. Jesus answered, don't you know me, Philip? After, even after I've been among you such a long time, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Don't you believe that I am in the Father and that the Father is in me? The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. Rather, it is the Father living in me who is doing his work. Believe me when I say that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or at least believe on the evidence of the works themselves. Very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing, and they will do even greater things than these, because I am going to the Father, and I will do whatever you ask in my name, so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. You may ask me for anything in my name, and I will do it. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary, pure and holy, tried and true, with thanksgiving. I want to be a living sanctuary for you. You sounded so good on that. Let's sing it again. Lord, prepare me to be a sanctuary pure and holy tried and true with thanksgiving I want to be a living sanctuary Holy God, as the Father is in you and the Father is in Jesus and the Father is in the Holy Spirit, we ask that you would be in all of us right now, particularly in the words that I speak, that they would bring comfort and peace 
to those who hear them. In Jesus' name, amen. We are nearing the end of this Disciple Whom Jesus Loves series. We've been in this book of John and some other writings of John for quite some time now, haven't we? And it's fitting that we move to the end with a means of comfort because that's the way Jesus left his disciples before he left this earth. (laughs) He left them with words of comfort This scripture is comfort food, comfort food for the soul, if you will. Let not your hearts be troubled. You know, heart trouble is the leading cause of death in this country. Heart trouble. I think it's the leading cause of death in the world, too, probably. Sometimes when the heart doesn't get enough blood circulation, people have heart attacks. And that can result from a lot of different things. But this morning, we're going to look at a different kind of heart trouble. One that afflicts not only that blood-pumping organ in your chest, but the very center of our being, the seat of who we are, the seat of our emotions. And this kind of heart trouble can afflict anybody, young or old, good or bad. Nobody's immune to it. Even our Lord Jesus Christ experienced it when he was in the flesh as a human being. Just a few weeks ago, we saw that in John's Gospel. We saw several instances over time. We saw it when he lost his friend Lazarus and he wept. He was troubled. Another time was when he entered Jerusalem on his triumphal entry over Palm Sunday. We talked about that not that long ago. And he told Philip and Andrew that his hour had come, he was troubled, and then Jesus said, my soul is troubled, what shall I say, Father, save me from this hour, just a couple chapters before this reading. Jesus revealed to his disciples that even he in this fleshly existence was troubled at times. And all those things show that there's nothing wrong with being troubled. There's nothing wrong with having a troubled heart. It's part of life on this side of eternity. What is important is how we deal with that troubled heart. And that we use the right remedy that Jesus Christ, the great physician, gives us. And since he understands perfectly what it's like to be human being, he was fully God and fully human, His remedy is bound to be the most effective way for all of us to deal with it, too. So we've already reached the stage of this gospel, which is kind of hard to understand if you look at the gospel as a whole, 21 chapters or whatever, and we're only in chapter 14, but fully from about chapter 12 on to the end, it's all the last week of Jesus' life. (laughs) And from now, this reading today to the end, it's really the last day of his life. And so we've already reached that stage where Jesus has done the Last Supper, sharing the final moments with his disciples. He's told them that he'd have to leave them soon, and this made the disciples feel fearful and anxious, of course. Their hearts were troubled. 
and their future seemed uncertain. There were many questions. Why did Jesus have to leave them? Why did he have to go? Why couldn't he stay longer? We've all faced those same kind of questions, haven't we? We're no strangers to those same kind of questions. They trouble us often when there's an unexpected turn of events or there's uncertainty. Perhaps that person you've been depending on, perhaps a coworker, perhaps a staff member, perhaps someone else you have been depending on is gone, or someone you love has to work somewhere far away and move away. You wonder how you're going to cope with it. Perhaps the company that you've worked for or the job you have has downsized, reorganized, and your job is redundant and no longer needed. Perhaps a family member of yours is diagnosed with some serious disease. I've been there, you've been there. We've all been there when our hearts have been troubled. And whenever you feel that the walls of life are closing in and there's no way out, you must apply this, well, this passage of Jesus Christ, just as he did and as his disciples were asked to do. You, you know, whatever troubles we have gone through or will go through, they're, they're not even comparable to the troubles Jesus was going to face in the next day after he gave the scripture reading. And they're not even comparable to the troubles that the disciples were going to face. And still Jesus told them, let not your heart be troubled. <laughs> let not your hearts be troubled. Trust me. Trust God. And if you go to the very end of that chapter, we didn't read that verse, verse 27, he adds peace to that. I want you to have peace. Peace I leave you let not your heart be troubled. Don't be afraid. What does it mean for us to let not our hearts be troubled? Well, I think it means that in our spirits, we have to set our hearts at ease by believing, by trusting in God, by looking to him, by not giving up hope, despite what seems to be a difficult or impossible situation. You see, after Jesus said these words, he did more than just say these words. <laughs> First of all, he gave them three things that should make them stop and think that they should be encouraged. Their hearts shouldn't be troubled. And by extension, Jesus gives we modern-day disciples those same three things. The first thing in the first four verses or so is that Jesus said, In my Father's house there's many rooms. There's many rooms, many translations, earlier translations say there were many mansions. Some translations say there are many, many rooms. There's plenty of space, in other words. Jesus says, if it weren't so, I would have told you. I go there to prepare a place for you, and if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back again and I will get you. If you ever feel discouraged that you don't seem to have a permanent place, whether that's a permanent home or a permanent place in this world, remember that Jesus has promised you a permanent place one day in his heavenly home. If you've ever worked with homeless people or people who are down and out, they love that passage. 
I remember one person told me that at the Pacific Garden Mission who was homeless. He said, you know, God's making me a heavenly home. I don't have a home now, but I have a heavenly home. There's a cultural context to this passage that Jesus is giving that most of we modern-day Westerners miss altogether. Jesus, of course, was from the Middle East, from Israel, and it was common then, and it's common now in the Middle East, for families to just keep adding on rooms to their houses so that when a son gets married, they add another story and they bring the bride home and the house gets many, many rooms. In fact, when we were in the Middle East a couple years ago, we noticed that all the construction, all the top floors, most of it was concrete construction in that area, all of them had re-rods sticking out of the, of the posts. The reason being is for the next generation. <laughs> when the sons get married, they add another floor. They add more rooms. That's what Jesus is talking about here. We miss that. The son's going to get married and would assure that his bride, after he brought them home, there'd be plenty of room. So in this passage, Jesus is doing that very same thing. He promises his disciples he's going back to prepare a place for them. And, you know, we often refer to the church as the bride of Christ. Well, that's the analogy here. Jesus is like the groom promising, promising his bride that he will come and get her and take her and bring her back to live with him in their new expanded home. There are many mansions. There are many rooms. There's plenty of room for you. There's plenty of room for everybody. If there isn't enough room, we'll just build on another story. <laughs> There's plenty of room. That's what Jesus is referring to. And Jesus is encouraging in this, isn't he? He's saying, this place that I'm going, there's no more tears, there's no more anguish, there's no more pain. But you know, the most attractive feature of what this is, you know, we don't really have a vision of heaven in this passage, but the most attractive thing, the most attractive vision that is clear in this passage is that we're going to be with Jesus forever. It's a family home, we're going to live as a family with Jesus I go and prepare a place for you. I'll come again and take you on to myself. And I believe that Jesus will not just be some spiritual essence. We'll be the same kind of body that Jesus has, whatever that is. And that Jesus will be there in person, fully perceptible to us. And we'll get our greatest delight in the next world by just, well, being present with Christ. Just being present with him. That's just a wonderful thing to think about to me. Jesus is what makes heaven, heaven. <laughs> Jesus is what makes heaven, heaven. Heaven is only heavenly because Jesus is there. It should comfort you to know that no matter what things you encounter in life, that there's a place for you. That should give you security to know that Whatever losses you experience in this life, there's a beautiful place for you with Jesus Christ in the forever. And nothing can ever change that. It's comforting to think about that to me. It's comforting to think about 
the fact that Jesus will come back and take us to be with him. I know Eileen tells the story of when she and her family moved from, she's back there in the, I'm not, I'm not pointing at nothing. She's back there in the coffee shop with Amanda and Matthew, by the way. Um, she tells the story of when her family moved from Detroit, inner city, not inner city, but it was getting rougher. Her dad was working in a rough area, moving out to this area. And her dad had to leave them. And, you know, so here's her mom with three kids living alone in Detroit while the dad moved to this area and finally found a job in Lansing living in an apartment for six or nine months or whatever it was until he found a place where they can move the family out here to be together again. <laughs> I go and prepare a place for you and I will go and get you and bring you with me if our earthly fathers do that. Just think how much more so our heavenly father will do that for us. Even though it may seem like you're struggling, you may seem like you're apart, Jesus is preparing a place for you and he's going to go get you and bring you there. The next section of this passage gives us comfort as well, I believe, because it tells us that we get to know God through Jesus Christ. We get to know God completely. Whenever our hearts are troubled, it's always encouraging to, well, to know that there's someone we can turn to to help. And the best person or entity would be God, but you know, that assumes we can find God. It assumes we know where God is. And so many people in so many places all over the world have been trying to find God forever. And they look and they look and they don't see him. Even in our passage today, Philip didn't see God at first. Jesus said, you know the way. <laughs> You've seen me. The Father's in me and I am in the Father. You've seen me. You know the way. And Philip still doesn't quite get it. And then Jesus gives his famous, one of his seven famous I am statements. I am the way. You know the way, Philip says, no, I don't know the way. He says, yeah, Philip, you know the way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. And you know that passage, I am the way, the truth, and the life, has been used inappropriately, I believe, by so many folks for so many years to exclude people, to exclude people from our father's house that he's building. I've heard it used that way so many times. If you don't believe exactly like I believe, if you don't owe communion exactly like I do communion, if you don't do baptism exactly like I do baptism, you're not going to make it. Jesus said, I am the way. What does that mean? Well, I don't believe that there are magic words that we have to say for Jesus to love us into eternity. <laughs> Some people believe that. Unless you say it just this way, that doesn't mean Jesus doesn't want you to accept him and follow him right now in this place. Don't get me wrong. I believe that's true. But I don't think 
that this was meant as an exclusive verse as it has been used. One reason is just the context of it. The whole context of this passage is to provide comfort, to provide comfort. It's not very comforting to say, you're not going to make it, you're going to hell. <laughs> I don't think that's what Jesus was trying to say. But just like when Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead, and Martha said, well, yeah, I believe in the resurrection someday, some way, somehow, Jesus said, no, you don't get it, I am the resurrection. Same thing. When Philip said, no, I don't, I don't know the way to the Father, Jesus said, Philip, I am the way to the Father. You're seeing how to get to God through me. It's an inclusive thing, I believe. It's an inclusive thing. I, uh, I saw a powerful Billy Graham documentary on public TV a couple weeks ago. Maybe some of you saw it as well. And uh, we talked about it in the men's group a couple weeks ago as well. And it was later in Billy's life, he was doing crusades in Asia and China, places like that that he'd never done before, growing huge crowds. And when he came back to the United States, they interviewed him, I think it was for Look Magazine or something at the time, and showed his own maturity in faith. They said, well, so what did you learn about these crusades you did in China? And he said, well, he said, you know, I used to think that all those Chinese children who didn't know Jesus were going to hell. <laughs> he says, now, he says, Jesus has a way to bring them to heaven. He says, I don't think that anymore. We all mature in our faith. And I praise God that we would mature and be inclusive in our understanding of that passage, I am the way. There's no doubt about it. Jesus is the way. He's the one and only. There's no doubt about that. But who did Jesus exclude from his kingdom when he was walking this earth as a human being? Who did he exclude? The people who were culturally different? The Ethiopians? The Samaritans, the sinners, the adulterers, the wine-bibbers, he didn't exclude any of them. He didn't exclude any of them. And I praise God that Jesus is the way to the Father because no one else could be as loving and accepting and forgiving as Jesus Christ is. Amen? I... Uh, one of my favorite books in seminary, I don't remember if I told you this story or not, but it's good, I'm gonna tell it again. One of my favorite books in seminary <clears throat> was called Gandhi on Christianity. And uh, it was a very thin book. It was only like 100 pages or less. And I honestly picked it because as part of this class, it was a theology class, we had to read a book and do a report in front of the class on it. And I'm tired of reading. And it was a very thin book. But I'll tell you, it's, it was one of the most powerful books I ever read in my life. 
And it talked about how much Gandhi, who was a Hindu, Hindu from the day he was born, a Hindu to the day he died, how he believed that Jesus was, in fact, the way, the truth, and the life. <laughs> we think that a Hindu might be offended at that line, right? He wasn't. He talked about, he said that if all there was in the Bible were the words of Jesus, Gandhi said, I'd be a Christian. <laughs> it's all that other stuff the church has added to exclude people. <laughs> it's a powerful book. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And I'll praise God that it's Jesus who is that way, and it's not somebody else. Amen? And finally, so those are two comforting things. Finally, I want to talk a little about the section that says, you will do greater things than Jesus Christ. You will do greater things. How, how is that possible? How can we as his modern-day disciples do greater things than Jesus? Jesus says, the work that I do you shall do also, and greater works than these you will do, because I go to my Father. Because I go, you will do greater works. Well, Jesus, Jesus did some pretty incredible things, didn't he? He confounded the wisest people here on earth. He taught with authority like no other. He made the blind see. He made the lame walk. He fed the 5,000. He raised Lazarus from the dead. He walked on the water. So if these words of Jesus here are true, how do we understand them? How do they speak to us as modern disciples? You shall do greater things because Christ has gone to the Father. Well, we're still trying to figure out what this means, but I'm convinced a lot of the reason we most modern disciples don't understand it is because we view ourselves as chosen instead of called. <laughs> we view ourselves as chosen instead of called. You see, it, it seems to me most of the so-called miracles we see today are on TV. I've seen those things, you've seen those things. TV folks doing some incredible things, wanting everybody to see. That's why they're on TV. <laughs> and this, is this what Jesus meant when he said, you shall do greater things? Well, I maintain a healthy skepticism of all those kind of things, anything you see on TV, including the news. <laughs> but it seems to me that if, if faith healers were really faith healers, then none of them should be fat or bald or have any other physical imperfection. <laughs> and it isn't so. <laughs> it isn't so. I believe in miracles, don't get me wrong. God can certainly intervene in the history that God created. But I have never seen greater things in this regard greater than Jesus, on TV or otherwise. Yet Jesus said, you shall do greater things. What the heck is he talking about? I've heard TV preachers say, well, you're going to do greater things only, only if you have enough faith. Maybe my faith isn't good enough. We're so impressed by the power of God that we, we look for those kind of miracles. We sing about it. And we miss the point of Jesus' miracles. You see, Jesus was never trying to impress people with his power when he did a miracle. 
He was never trying to impress people with his power. If so, he never would have went to the cross. He never would have went to the cross. That's why he's the way, the truth, and the life. You see, the reason Jesus performed miracles, I believe, is to show how much God loved them. To show them how much God loved them. The incarnation of Jesus was not about showing his power. If it was, he wouldn't have come as a baby. He would have broken into the world in a more miraculous way. Think about Jesus' first miracle at Cana. He turned that water into wine. We talked about that many, many weeks ago now. He did that miracle because the wedding party would have been embarrassed. He did it to show God's love. And this is what the gospel is all about, to show God's love. We don't have the ability to raise people from the dead. We don't have the ability to walk on the water. But we do have the ability to express God's love for other people. We do have that ability. What do you think Jesus would consider the greater work? Walking on water? or ministering to people in need. <laughs> I think he'd consider the latter, the greater work. Christ did perform miracles. People still experience God's miracles today. I believe that. And I don't want to take anything from that. It was and it is an awesome display of God's power. But the point is that we are called by God. We are called as disciples. We're not volunteers. We're called we are a called people to love others and to make disciples for Jesus Christ. And here's the greater thing that we all can do, and we all have had a part in already. When Jesus walked this earth physically, he, well, he had 12 disciples. He had 12 followers. <laughs> and then towards the end of his life, the time of the resurrection, he had maybe 120 followers according to the scriptures. How many Christians are there in the world today? Two point something billion. Because Jesus went to the Father and sent the Holy Spirit to work with us and among us, we have done greater works. We have made more disciples for Jesus Christ. We have shown the love of Christ. Amen? So take comfort in this scripture this morning. In my Father's house, there are many rooms. There's plenty of room for you. Jesus is the way. He's the only one. He's the only God capable of loving people that much and loving us into eternity. And you too can do greater things than Jesus Christ in terms of loving others and leading them to Jesus Christ. Amen.